From Public Radio International, I'm Barbara Bogave in for Madeline Brand, and this is America Abroad. The Arab Spring was supposed to be a time of hope, a time when greater freedoms were granted to all citizens in countries such as Tunisia, Egypt, Libya, Syria, and even Yemen. Among those who hoped for more rights were the women of the Middle East. We fought many battles, not just one. Fortunately, we won them. It wasn't easy. I salute our representatives and pay tribute to all the Democrats. But three years after the upheaval and excitement of the Arab Spring, the future of women's rights is unclear. Revolution has brought possibility, but it's also brought turbulence, uncertainty, and even more violence against women. True, even in countries such as Tunisia and Turkey, known for their progressive attitudes towards women well before the revolutions. On one hand, starting from the constitution onwards, in terms of rights, there are laws being passed, etc. Things were moving forward. Whereas in actual life, things are getting harder for women. Though the Arab monarchies and the Gulf states avoided revolutions and have lagged on improving the status of women, some quiet but important signs of progress can be seen in Dubai, in Kuwait, in Saudi Arabia. They now have what many of the Arab Spring states don't, peace and stability. But they still have a long way to go to provide women with rights. In this next hour, we'll take a deeper look into these places and what this change means for women. We begin with Manaz Afkami. She served as the first Minister of Women's Affairs of Iran from 1976 to 78. She's lived in exile in the U.S. since 79 and is the founder and president of the NGO Women's Learning Partnership in Bethesda, Maryland. Its goal is to empower women around the world and provide them with leadership skills. I asked her whether she thinks conditions are better or worse for women in the wake of the Arab uprisings. Well, it's a little bit complicated. They're both better and worse. They're worse in the sense that conflict and change and unrest usually brings forces to the fore, which happen to be in Muslim-majority countries especially, uh, more of the Islamists and the more conservative forces because they are the ones who have had more of a chance to organize and to be out in public during the autocratic regimes. Uh, So in that sense, the forces that become more empowered and out in public are those which do not necessarily have empathy with women or believe in more liberal values. But on the other side, the opening of spaces, the excitement of uh, participation, the public nature of interaction between men and women on political grounds out in the open empowers women who have had, large numbers of them have had education and skills building during the last few decades and have been waiting for an opportunity to have their voice out there in the public space. So would you say then that these last three years since the beginning of the Arab Spring have meant a revolution for women in the Middle East? 
It has been a revolution for men and women, and in the sense it has been a chance for women to bring their revolution to the general revolution. And, you know, it has affected people in a very interesting way because for the first time we hear from our partners in these countries that they want to be more inclusive when they organize their own groups, but they want to have men with them and to talk to men. They want to have messages that are more general and not specifically women-oriented so that their message and their point of view about society in general can apply to men as well, that they want to recruit men to work with them and uh, they want to have a voice in the general formation and structure of society. And let's look at specific nations, Egypt, for instance. Women's rights are enshrined in the new constitution, but has that translated into improved conditions for women, women on the ground? The improvement in the condition of women on the ground is a long-term project, you know. The important piece of this is that people have sat together in what they call the second revolution or the continuation of the Arab Spring Revolution, they have sat together to produce a constitution and they have argued their case, they have won consensus, they have talked to the more conservative groups and so forth. So we see that they have avoided reference to Sharia as the only source of law, which is hopeful. But we'll have to see what happens, let's say, in Libya, you see, or or in some of the other countries. But so far, they have avoided having that. Let's take a closer look now at what's happened in Egypt. Under a newly approved constitution, women are supposed to have equality in all civil, political, economic, social, and cultural rights. As the turmoil has made life on the streets more dangerous for women, some female activists in Egypt are pushing forward to cement new rights, while others are struggling to reclaim what they've lost. All agree, however, it'll be a long struggle. Kimberly Adams reports from Cairo. On a recent morning here, journalists packed into a conference room at the offices of the National Council of Women. The government was launching a new initiative to fight violence against women, something Dr. Fatma Khafaghi has to deal with on a regular basis in her role as ombudsman for the government agency. A UN poll showed more than 99% of women here are subject to sexual harassment on a regular basis, and a recent Thomson Reuters survey of female advocates voted Egypt the worst country in the Arab League in terms of women's rights. But on the sidelines of the event, Khafaghi says the 2011 revolution encouraged more women to speak up for those rights. I think there is a tremendous increase of women's participation. Women have taken the trouble themselves to prove themselves that they are equal citizens, that they are leaders in so many ways. The new constitution, passed by referendum in January, has several articles pertaining to women's rights, promising equality and aid for women, especially those at the margins of society. The constitution is really good. It covers everything. In particular, it's good for the women and, in general, for everyone. 
Om Fatih, a poor shopkeeper in central Cairo, proudly displays her pro-government posters to customers at her street-side kiosk, where she sells basic items like laundry detergent, candy and cigarettes. She says this constitution is a vast improvement over the 2012 version approved under the government of Islamist President Mohamed Morsi. The military forced him from office last year in response to massive street protests. Morsi came from the Muslim Brotherhood, a now-banned organization which had a much more conservative outlook on women's rights. The 2012 constitution actually removed a long-standing clause guaranteeing equality for women, something restored in the new version. Morsi didn't even look at the rights of the women. The Muslim Brotherhood was his sole interest. But the Egyptian woman who was supposed to take her full rights, he didn't care about her. Constitutional amendments passed under his leadership, according to lawyer Hafsa Halawa, could have been a huge setback for women's rights. Had they been interpreted strictly by a Muslim Brotherhood or Salafi-led executive or legislative authority would have created massive turbulent changes in our laws and would have taken us very much back to almost the dark ages in terms of female genital mutilation, in terms of child brides, in terms of women's rights, um, labor law-wise, family law-wise. I thought that everything we did through that last 20 years, we will lose it. Dr. Randa Eldin was one of those concerned. She's a gynecologist working with NGOs to fight female genital mutilation in Egypt, to which a vast majority of women in the country have been subjected. She says when Morsi's government was in office, she tried to work with the political arm of the Muslim Brotherhood, the Freedom and Justice Party. I was one of the medical committee in the party, but I went there just two times, and after that I told them I will not come again. You don't understand what the meaning of being someone responsible about this country. Although female genital mutilation has been illegal in Egypt since before the revolution, Morsi and other members of the Brotherhood suggested it should be a family decision, and Eldin says they wouldn't consider other perspectives. Women's rights groups in Egypt were vocal advocates of Morsi's ouster, something which angers his female supporters. Sarah El-Nashar was one of them. Although she was in Tahrir Square for the 2011 revolution, she later joined a pro-Morsi sit-in after his removal. I don't think it was fair to judge where women's rights were going under Morsi's government or what was happening. She argues the Morsi government didn't have time to fully develop or implement a women's rights agenda. El-Nashar is speaking from outside the country, partially because here in Egypt, many women have been caught up in the crackdown on Morsi supporters. Some of those arrested are claiming that the military-led government now in power has abused and inflicted harsh treatment on women, including virginity tests and rape. El-Nashar claims women's rights groups aren't sticking up for female Morsi supporters as much as they would more liberal women. Or is it just because these women dress in a certain way and speak in a certain way and think in a certain way that, oh, perhaps, you know, these rights are not applicable to them? Um, I think the silence is just deafening on their part. And it's it's a shameful. Women with some wealth and education may be divided by politics on where Egypt is headed in terms of women's rights, but many of the very poor are too burdened by everyday troubles of feeding their families to think about their political rights. There's no change in the conditions of women. 
We don't have any future with any government. It's early in the morning, but Sabah El Menshawi has already sold the small batch of fish she and her husband caught in the Nile River. She's literally living hand to mouth. On her way to buy food for her children's breakfast, she pauses on her route to help gut some of today's catch, complaining how her brother-in-law beat her and spit on her earlier in the week. But she says when she went to the police, they did nothing. Anyway, I thank God. We are just living and that's it. Even women with education complain the real battle over women's rights is in the Egyptian culture. In a recent poll, only two out of five Egyptian women said they had the right to make decisions in the household where they grew up. 29-year-old teacher Manar Soliman says she often faces discrimination in job interviews by employers who don't want to risk a woman leaving work for marriage or family issues. While I am applying for a job, uh, and this was said in front of me, that a man is better. Because sometimes I will really hear excuses from, uh, from women. So from their point of view, no, a man is really better for the job. And this was in a job interview. Despite the political upheavals of the past three years, lawyer Hafsa Halawa says not that much has technically changed when it comes to women's rights in the country. From a legal point of view, I don't think the situation is at all different to what it was in 2011. But you could say we've kind of come back full circle, having dipped under the Islamists to fight very hard for women's rights, having experienced an epidemic of sexual violence in Tahrir Square, to then come back again to the position we were in. And there is a chance to improve now. There is an opportunity to push this military regime now to force these changes. That sentiment is echoed by anti-FGM advocate Dr. Eldeen. This past summer, a 13-year-old girl died in a botched cutting procedure, and the doctors and family members involved still haven't been held accountable, although the prosecutor is reopening the investigation. We already have law. Just want someone who is strong to start make this law work. For America Abroad, I'm Kimberly Adams in Cairo. Making the laws work is key to both the physical and political security of women in places like Egypt and Tunisia. The post-revolutionary time has ushered in a dangerous period for women. But once stability is achieved in these places, Manaz Afkami says, there'll be decent laws for these governments to enforce. Ms. Afkami is the president of the NGO Women's Learning Partnership. What they have even accomplished right now for the Tunisia constitution, for the Egyptian constitution, are, are unusual and interesting. In both those countries, inclusion of equality for women in the constitution and protection from violence and also adherence to the international declarations and documents are very important steps. And these are actually, since they are in the founding documents, they're going to affect such things as family status laws, which actually affect the everyday lives of women. We go now to Tunisia. That country has long been at the forefront of the fight for Arab women's rights. In late January, Tunisia's National Constituent Assembly approved a new constitution. It passed overwhelmingly, but not before some fierce wrangling. Reporter Safwain Grira spoke with Henda Cretion, an activist with the progressive al Masr Party. She was elated after the adoption of two contentious articles dealing with gender equality, Articles 20 and 45. 
ستاند اوفيشن هي سورتو في الفصل 45. We gave a stand innovation when Article 45 was voted. It consecrates the efforts of all the Democrats pertaining to gender equality, violence against women, gender parity in elected assemblies, and equal opportunities. That's very important. Krishan says women can now claim legal protections denied them under the ousted former President Ben Ali. This particular fight was touched off when a first draft of the new constitution laid out a complementary role for women to that of men in the family structure. Complementary meaning subordinate. For Krishan, that fight was settled with the passage of the two articles. We fought many battles, not just one. Fortunately, we won them. It wasn't easy. I salute our representatives and pay tribute to all the Democrats. But we are not totally satisfied because of the terminology used in some cases. For example, the state will work to do, and not the state is committed to do. This is more a commitment to the means and not to the outcome. Since we are a liberal party, we would have preferred the state to be more involved in this process. Still, overall, it's not bad, but there is still work to do. Another woman has been listening at a distance. She is middle-aged, veiled. At the first chance, she hurries over, as if compelled to counter all the optimism she has been hearing. The situation got worse since the revolution, and because women are seen by society as the weaker group, they bear the consequences more than men. This is Naira. She's a housekeeper. She says that no matter all the talk of victory, if you're a woman in Tunisia, you just don't have the same mobility as the man. Nothing. I have no social security. Lots of working women like me are left to their own lot. If they're injured, they have nothing to fall back on. I'm 50 years old today. Have I had social security since I started working, I would be able to retire today. With $70 a month, I would be content and wouldn't have to endure at my age the heat of summer or the cold of winter. These are the rights that I care about and for which I would love to see a revolution go off. Nara's biggest concern is security. Since the revolution in 2011, violence in Tunisia has increased, targeting women in particular. To this mother of a 17-year-old girl, life is no longer easy. She's almost nostalgic for the dictatorial rule of the Ben Ali era. True. Ben Ali butchered the country. I can almost say that I didn't care. At least there was security. Women could come home alone at midnight without fear for their life or their physical safety. Today we fear for our girls. Your daughter can be kidnapped at night, taxi drivers can be held up, rape cases are increasing. Is this how we are protected? We are not protected, especially not the women especially not the women. We leave Naira and head to the offices of the Tunisian Association of Democratic Women. It's a prominent NGO that works since the Ben Ali time for the protection of women's rights and offers crisis services. Each week, numerous women come and speak with the association specialists the acts of violence they've endured. Sonia confides in Amir and Zawi who listens to her attentively. Depending on the case, 
Amira will refer her to the appropriate service. Have you been victim of domestic violence? Yes, my husband beats me very often. He even tried once to kill me before my children's eyes. You have no one to give you a helping hand? His own family lives in the neighborhood. But in our rural village, such behavior is quite common. If you beat your wife, well, that makes you a strong man. Sessions like these are everyday work to Amira, who's been with the organization for many years now. She says cases of violence have multiplied since the revolution. We have registered 38 domestic violence cases so far during the three first weeks of January. We have noted that women are aware of such injustice, but not equally aware of their own rights. Moreover, we note that these women often perpetuate the circle of violence with their own children when they allow their sons to have the upper hand over their daughters. It's a vicious circle. That's why we advise them and guide them legally and psychologically. A few days later, at El Masar party headquarters, we meet up again with Hendak Rishan, the party activist with whom we spoke earlier. This is a very special day. The constitution has just now been adopted in its entirety. A sense of relief fills the air at the party's headquarters. Our task as political representatives has been accomplished successfully and we're satisfied. Now it's up to the civil society to take over. We must stay vigilant to safeguard the acquired rights of Tunisian women. And yet, Hindu knows that although the constitution has decisively guaranteed Tunisian women's rights, the ways of a male-dominated society will be harder to change, and that the journey to total equality for Tunisian women will be a long one. For America Abroad, I'm Safwan Grira from Tunisia. You're listening to Women's Rights After the Arab Spring on America Abroad. Coming up, Turkey. It used to be a leader in progressive reforms for women. What's happening now? We'd love to know your thoughts about this program. Tweet us at America underscore abroad.